2021. Wow, I can't believe we're in April already. That went fast, did it not? The year's a quarter of the way over. That's amazing. And it's Good Friday, which we'll get to in the faith portion of the podcast. Um, I don't know if I should ever do a podcast when I'm in uh, the kind of mood I'm in this morning because I sat down to do the podcast after a really awesome hour and a half in my Bible today, and I was all calm and serene and uh, inspired and um, just really looking forward to this Easter weekend. I have the day off today from my uh, regular job in the afternoons at 98.9 The Answer. And so I just checked a couple sports headlines, and I found a headline that I'll talk about here during the podcast that just... Um, sports and culture intersect so much, and the absurdity of where we are in our culture is just... Um, I hope I can keep a good humor about it, but I'll talk about it here momentarily. First, I have strict orders that I must follow today. So let me start with an apology. Uh, and I always say on my show on 989theanswer.com, don't ever apologize to the left because apologies are fine when you do something wrong. Apologies are uh, biblical when they involve repentance, change behavior. But apologies just for things that aren't wrong uh, are not unnecessary. Uh, I digress. I have to apologize to someone I've never met, but Brenton. Brenton, I want to apologize to you. And I want to apologize to my daughter, who's Brenton's friend. And here's the deal. My daughter, Brenton, told me a long time ago, probably two, three weeks ago, that you're a fan of the podcast and that I was supposed to shout you out. And I totally forgot it. So I apologize. And Please don't hold my daughter responsible because she told me and she's checked back with me and I keep saying, I'll do it, I'll do it, I'll do it, and I've never done it. So I'm doing it today. Shout out Brenton. Brenton is a loyal listener to the podcast, and Brenton, I appreciate that very much. As I understand it, you're a you're a young man, and the fact that if you're listening to the podcast all the way through, I'm honored by the attention that you give me, and I'm, uh, I'm hoping that I keep you informed on sports, of course, but I'm more hopeful that I am keeping you uh, rooted in truth so that you can engage in conversations with friends of yours. If we're going to change the world and we're going to change the culture and we're going to change our country and we're going to heal our country, I believe our young people have a key role in that. And I am very passionate about protecting our young people from error. And um, we're losing that battle. We've lost it for the better part of half a century. Uh, in my lifetime, we've lost it, and we have to be willing to play the long game, and we have to be willing to speak for truth. And so, Brenton, I appreciate that you're a young man who uh, invests your time in either uh, fortifying yourself with the truth that I hopefully offer on this podcast, or that you are someone who doesn't necessarily agree with everything I say, but still have the open-mindedness to listen. So thank you, Brenton. I appreciate it, and I pre as I appreciate all of my listeners on the podcast. Hey, uh, you know we give you 15% off at Hemisphere Coffee Roasters for ordering via the We Tackle Life podcast and using the promo code We Tackle Life. Hemisphere Coffee Roasters coffee is phenomenal. Uh, this is a cool little gift you can give to someone. Uh, they're working on this packaging for their bourbon barrel-aged coffee, and it's actually hand-picked beans from Indonesia, and then they roll it in a bourbon barrel. I've talked about this before, but they have cool gift pa uh, packages and stuff. We're coming up on anniversary season, wedding season. Everybody's looking for a an inventive wedding gift. Yeah, you can go to the 
the the registry at you know your stores and buy them a plate or something like that. When they pull the plate out, do you think they're going to remember? Oh, Uncle Joe gave me this plate. Isn't this a beautiful plate? No, there'll be like ten other plates on the table, the same exact plate. They won't know who gave it to them and who didn't. But if you get them started on Hemisphere Coffee Roasters coffee, and there's so many coffee connoisseurs out there. Imagine, every time they have Hemisphere, they go, how do we ever hear about Hemisphere in Mechanicsburg, Ohio? And they go, Uncle Joe got us Hemisphere for our wedding. Yes. So that's a cool idea for gifts, for graduations. How many high school kids love coffee? There you go. Get them started on Hemisphere. They'll go to college. They'll be like the most popular kid in the dorm because they've clued in if they share their Hemisphere coffee with others and get 15% off using the promo code we tackle life. Many flavors, great mission. They buy direct from growers around the world. Those growers get money, plug it into the local economy, on and on and on and on. Okay, so where are we going to start today? Let's start with Ohio State basketball coach Chris Holtman and the suddenly open job at North Carolina. Uh, Roy Williams retired. Roy Boy, Deputy Dog, Huckleberry Hound. I have had many interactions with Roy Williams over the years covering uh, 19 Final Fours. Super good coach, super good man. You say, whoa, he's a cheater, NCAA. Yeah, there was some funny business with academics at North Carolina. I never, it never landed on Roy. So I don't know if he knew it, didn't know it, whatever. My sense is if Roy Williams had known that, he would have put a stop to it. Uh, funny business in the classroom. People, a lot of times people try to help and they think, oh, you know, let's not bother so-and-so with this, let's just do it for them. Um, and if the person knew it, they'd be like, no. Now, I'm not exonerating him. I don't know. But um, I always say coaches should know. They should know. But is Roy Williams a guy who cares about his players, loves his players? Yes. Is Roy Williams kind of a caricature in a coaching profession because he always cried when his season ended? You know, I'm sure I've made a joke or two about that over the years, but don't you want a coach who feels it on that deep of a level? I do. And Roy Williams did, and his players love him, and he was an amazing coach at North Carolina and at Kansas, by the way. And I'd forgotten that Roy Williams coached at Kansas six years after Dean Smith left North Carolina. I think the presumption is, oh, Roy stepped right in after Dean Smith. No, no, no. Bill Guthridge stepped in after Dean Smith because Dean quit. A week before the season started, he left North Carolina no wiggle room. He wanted Bill Guthridge to get that job, so he quit late so Guthridge would get it. And Guthridge went to two Final Fours in his three years. He just got the job when he was really old. And then Matt Doherty was at Notre Dame, and he was going to be the next big thing at Carolina, having played for Coach Smith at Carolina on his na one of his national championship teams. And Matt Doherty went to North Carolina, and he was a miserable failure. Uh, he was a failure. Three years, awful. Went to the NCAA tournament the first year, not the next two years. Boom, bounced him out of there. Roy Williams came in and saved it. 18 years, nine Final Fours. Nine. Wow. One every other year. Three national titles. Amazing success. So who's going to take over for him? There will be tremendous pressure on North Carolina to stay in the family. Problem is, there's nobody who like jumps out as in the family. What, George Carl? He's ancient. Uh, Larry Brown, he's ancient. Uh, who else? There's a lot of guys in the Duke family. You're not going to hire a Duke guy to come in there. Uh, Hubert Davis looms as the likeliest in the family hire. I'm sure there are others. Um, but I'm browsing yesterday. Well, who's after? Who's next at North Carolina? And two names leap to mind. Everybody's 
Nirvana hire is, of course, Mark Few from Gonzaga or Brad Stevens from the Celtics, right? Okay. I can't imagine Mark Few taking that job. Why would he? He's in the Final Four of Gonzaga. He's undefeated. And he has none of the pressure at Gonzaga that he has at North Carolina. <laughs> I mean, think of the North Carolina job and the games you have to win or split to keep people off your back. You say, Duke, that's only, that's only one opponent. Oh, yeah? How about North Carolina State? How about Virginia? How about Wake? They're right in state with you. Virginia's not, obviously, but Duke and Wake are. North Carolina State is. So that's a problem. Oh, by the way, the ACC also includes Syracuse, Louisville. Whew, that's a monster conference, man. There's only like one place you could go to have a tougher road to hoe than the Big Ten, and it's the ACC. Why would Mark Few sign up for that? He'd be stupid to do that, in my opinion. Uh, he's got a couple. He's got a five-star forward, six-six coming in next year. He's probably going to get Chet Holmgren, the number one player in the country. Seven-two shoots threes, dribbles behind his back. He's amazing, but he's a stick. He's still amazing. I don't know if if Drew Timmy's going to stay. He's a sophomore. He might stay. Jalen Suggs, a freshman, he might stay. So, uh, and even if he doesn't, they're well positioned. So Mark Few makes no sense to me. Brad Stevens. If Brad Stevens. Uh, wanted to coach college basketball, he'd be at Indiana. Um, so I can't see that he wanted to go to North Carolina, although North Carolina has a way better job than Indiana, but North Carolina, I just said, has way more pressure, even more pressure than Indiana. So why do I bring this up? What do you care about North Carolina? Because Chris Holtman's name is coming up for this job. Now, is Chris Holtman going to be the first name out of the mouths of North Carolina fans? Ooh, I hope we get Chris Holtman. No, because right now Chris Holtman would be a, eh, really? Chris Holtman, eh. Now, he coached for at Gardner-Webb for three years, but most North Carolina fans, this is not my reaction, this is theirs, most North Carolina fans right now, if they went out and hired Chris Holtman today, would be like, well, this guy just lost to Oral Roberts. If they dug into his record, they'd find out he's done a terrific, I almost tried to make a new word, I'm, I tried to do a Spielman there, make a new word out of terrific and tremendous. Terrific. I can't even do it. Chris could do it on the spur of the moment. He's good at that. <laughs> at any rate. Um, but Holtman's name's on the list of like the six names that I've seen for the job because everybody around the country recognizes he's done a great job. Do Ohio State fans recognize that? This is the phenomenon in coaching. You become a victim of the expectations you create. Okay? So I've said before on this podcast, we won't cover old ground. Chris Holtman's having his first fight in his marriage with Ohio State fans. They're mad they lost to Oral Roberts. He's mad they lost to Oral Roberts. But he's also mad at you that you don't remember that they beat Iowa State and got in the tournament the first two years. I mean, I don't know that he's mad at you, but I'd be mad at you if I were him. Like, wait a minute. Like, I'm four years here. First time you've had it in four years to wonder if I'm doing the job, and now you're all out on me? Like, thanks for the loyalty, Brutus. Yeah, Brutus Buckeye, Brutus who stabbed Caesar in the back. There's a similarity. I'll have to use that sometime in print. At any rate, um... I think Holtman could become a fallback candidate at North Carolina. Now, I know his buyout is tremendous. His buyout to North Carolina is nothing. You say, wow, $12 million, that's not nothing. $12 million is pretty much nothing to Michael Jordan and all the other guys, James Worthy, all those guys from North Carolina over the years. Hmm. Yeah, I think they can afford whatever they want if they get the coach they want. 
and they say they're not in a hurry. So maybe they go, yeah, Holtman's our guy. We'll just wait till June the 1st and pay a million to get him out of his deal at Ohio State. The thing is, Chris Holtman's not the kind of a guy to me that wants to bolt out of here at the first sign of true adversity. He has a tremendous team coming back. You're going, well, it has a hole in the middle. Well, does it? I mean, it does, kind of, sort of. They did get into the top five this year with the team they have, and they're adding Malachi Branham, and they've added Jamari Wheeler, and I or Jabari Wheeler, and EJ Liddell put his name in the draft. He's not leaving. I'd be stunned if he left. Uh, so he's got a, Chris Holtman has a tremendous team coming back. But here's my advice to Ohio State fans: you better appreciate what you have, because this period of time here has two months more or uh, ten weeks more to run of. He's not leaving. He's got a huge buyout, and now he's got the stink of Oral Roberts on him. All that's going to be gone in a very short time. And just ask yourself this question. If Chris Holtman left, who would you get? Who would you get that you would be reasonably confident would be here for 10 years? You want Nate Oates from uh, Alabama? After the way they looked in their NCAA exit, you want uh, – there's no way you're getting Eric Musselman because I can't imagine that Ohio State fans would ever want a Musselman here after – you say, wow, it's 50 years ago, that brawl. Yeah, 50 years ago, try and get that past Ohio State basketball alumni who still have an affinity for Fred Taylor. Try to get the, uh, Eric Musselman past them. Good luck with that. Gene Smith can't be that clueless, I think. Um, who else? Who? See, I would not look for a coach I could keep for 10 years because did you keep Jim O'Brien for 10 years? Nope. Did you keep Randy Ayers for 10 years? No. Did you keep Thad Mata for 10 years? Yes. Did you keep Chris Holtman if he left now for 10 years? No. I'd make a phone call to John Beeline and I'd say, it's your job. Five-year deal. Additional year rollover for every year you win 20 games, which is a layup. Come on in, John. You're our guy. My point is, not that I want John Beeline. My point is, it'd be hard to find somebody. It'd be hard to find somebody that you'd feel as good about as you feel about Chris Holtman. What do you love? Greg McDermott now? We didn't love Greg McDermott when they hired Chris Holtman. So, learn to love the coach you have. Learn to appreciate the coach you have. Because he's really good. And he's doing a good job recruiting. And he's building a team that... I would like a little bit different roster composition. I trust him that this Wheeler edition makes a lot of sense. It's easy to have envy of the transfer portal. Oh, why don't we get this guy? He led the Northeastern Conference and blah, 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 blah. I know Jawan Howard hit the jackpot in the transfer portal and Ohio State didn't because Seth Towns' knee wasn't right. But just let's see what they are next year. They're going to be hard to play with Washington and suing and Liddell, that's going to be a really good team with those three guys leading it. And Branham's going to be a good player, and Michi's going to be a good player, and Arns has a specialty that makes him valuable, and Towns, we hope, is better, and hopefully they get a big guy. So I just say watch, watch your saltiness toward Chris Holtman because if you don't, he'll be gone, and you'll be like, why didn't we appreciate that dude when we had him? Okay. Final four. First game is Houston versus Baylor. I'm glad this breaks down the way it did. That's cool. Battle of Texas. Baylor and Houston. 
and it's cool. UCLA, which is the Cinderella, ha ha ha, with all the titles Sam Gilbert bought for John Wooden, um, against Gonzaga, which is the Cinderella of past NCAA tournaments. Gonzaga, the slipper still fits. That was not a very good Gus Johnson impression, but Gonzaga was the Cinderella in like 99. I was rooting for Gonzaga to beat Connecticut in the regional finals because Connecticut then played Ohio State, knocked them out, and then Connecticut beat Duke and won the national title. But I would have liked our chances with Scooney and Mike and Kenny Johnson against Gonzaga, and I think that was Dan Monson then at Gonzaga. So um, Gonzaga is now the the have, and UCLA is the have-not. They're the 11. Mick Cronin doing a great job at UCLA this year. I can't get over them holding Michigan to 49 points. Wow. Can they slow Gonzaga down? I would say no. Gonzaga passes the ball so well, and they defend so well. UCLA defends obviously well. But if Juzang's on and uh, Jacquez is on, who knows? Who knows? I mean, it's good for Mick Cronin getting them there. But my guess would be uh, we're going to see. Look at all the different titles we could have here. We could have UCLA in the national championship game against Houston. I know most of you are too young to remember, but that's got so much historical con- significance. 1969, Astrodome, Lou Cinder, Elvin Hayes. You're going, man, dude, what are you pulling that out of the George Mikan era? <laughs> that was early on. It was like one of the first basketball games I ever remember watching. And that's just a great historical game. Okay, let's say we get UCLA and Baylor. That has no significance at all. Blah. That's a blah final. Uh, let's say we get Gonzaga and Baylor. Well, that's the two best teams this year. That's what everybody wants to see, right? They've been waiting for the game all year. I think that game was scheduled and got canceled by COVID. So that'd be a great title game. Two number ones, best two teams all year. What if we get Gonzaga and Houston? I'd find that to be fascinating because Houston, what if they could never win a title with Phi Slamma Jamma, but they win one with Kelvin Sampson and this odd collection of defensive guys out of the American athletic Taking down, it would be a great story if they took down Gonzaga just because Gonzaga would be one game away from being the first undefeated team since 1976. So there's only one bad finals matchup, and it's without historical significance, and that's UCLA-Baylor. But we, I don't think we'll get that. I really don't. Uh, I think we'll get Baylor-Gonzaga or Houston-Gonzaga, and either one of those will be uh, good. And if we get UCLA-Houston, that would be good too. Okay. So uh, that's what we have at the Final Four. Houston at 514 against Baylor, and then at like 730-ish or 8-ish, we'll get Gonzaga and UCLA. Um, So Joe Biden, the president, There's like I said, there's always this intersection of sports and culture. Uh, Speaking of Joe Biden, before I tell you what he said that's sports-related, he's opened up enrollment in health insurance for this current period. It's it's indefinite, but it's not going to be open forever. So if you need health insurance or if you have health insurance, if you need it, well, who gives me the best deal for the money? I need this hospital, this doctor, these benefits. AUINFO.com can give you the answers to that. Who has the hospital copay doctor you need? If you have health insurance and you haven't done a inventory of Am I still getting the doctor, hospital, copay I need, can afford, want? They'll give you the answers to that. They're a free service to you. AUINFO.com. Sounds like a big company. It's a 17-person company. 
um, and they service anyone in the state of Ohio. And you can get the questions answered that you want answered on their chat at auiinfo.com. And it's like, it takes like five, 10 minutes. They're paid by the health insurance companies. You don't pay them. It's a totally free service. There's no, you're saying, well, where's the hidden peanut here in the shell game? There's no shell game, no peanut. It truly is the one instance in your life where you get more than you pay for because you don't pay and you get um, a lot. So auiinfo.com. Say hi to Chrissy, Steve, and all the great people, Julie and the others at auiinfo.com. All right, now. Let's go to Joe Biden intersecting sports. So Joe Biden did an interview with Sage Steele on ESPN in the aftermath of Equal Pay Day, where Megan Rapino, the soccer player, was up there talking about how uh, discriminated against she is and disadvantaged she is and how the U.S. women's national team is not paid enough and all this stuff. Megan Rapinoe is worth $3 million. Like She seems to be doing okay to me. And then Hope Solo of the U.S. women's soccer national soccer team passed says the reason why their pay is not equal is because <laughs> Megan Rapinoe led the charge to sign the collective bargaining agreement under which they're not paid equally. So I don't know what the truth is, but I know Biden said to Sage Steele, one of these equal pay talking points is that everyone in professional sports should be paid the same. Everyone in professional sports should be paid the same. So think about how ridiculous that is. The highest paid player in the WNBA makes less than $250,000 a year, a year. Steph Curry makes $43 million a year. Okay, so they're both professional basketball players, WNBA, NBA. So if we're going to pay WNBA players what NBA players make, can NBA teams afford that? Of course not. Um, Steph Curry has made more per game, per game, then the highest paid player in the WNBA is paid per season. And there's a reason for that. Marketability, interest, fan interest. That's capitalism. That's supply and demand. That's the backbone of our American economy. That's the backbone of America's uh, greatness over the years, that you uh, create a market for yourself and you're paid according to the market. As I always say, no one is overpaid unless they have a gun in their hand and they're pointing it at you as you give them their salary. So this thing that uh, equal pay thing... I just wanted you to know the disparity between uh, WNBA and NBA, and there's a reason for it. And it's silly to me that uh, we would uh, think otherwise. Speaking of NBA and the intersection of sports and politics and culture, I noticed a couple weeks ago or a week ago, whatever, Kevin Durant was in the crosshairs because of uh, some things he tweeted or no, not tweeted. Maybe it was a private tweet. It wasn't like he put it out in public. Um it was he has an interaction with a friendship with an interaction with a, a familiarity with this uh, I, I can't think of the actor can't picture him but his name is Michael Rappaport so KD and Rappaport are going back and forth and KD says these things that if I said them my career would be over okay um, they are deemed homophobic and misogynistic I don't know I can't chapter and verse I read them at the time and went ooh can't say that. Not in this culture. So KD has apologized, okay? So KD's apology uh, is on ESPN.com this morning. And the apology is, I'm sorry you all seen that. Seen that language. Seen, not saw. Um, that's his apology. I'm sorry you saw that. <laughs> and I'm like, well, that's one of the more 
inventive apologies of all time. He's not sorry he said it. He's not sorry he may have hurt people's feelings. He's sorry you saw it. And I looked on Twitter like, well, Kevin Durant's got to be getting crushed for that. Uh, He's got to be trending. Uh, Get up, first take, Jamel Hill, uh, all the, you know, woke police out there have to be crushing Kevin Durant. No, no, they're not. And I'm like, where's the NBA media on this? Like, where's, like, that's the apology. I'm sorry you saw that language. So if Kevin Durant ran over somebody with his car, would his apology be, you know, I'm really sorry your chest cavity wasn't strong enough to hold the weight of my Hummer. (laughs) If he stabbed somebody, would his apology be, oh, man, dude, I'm so sorry your flesh was not strong enough to withstand the blade of my knife. Now, I'm not crushing Kevin Durant here because I'm, I mean, I kind of am, but I'm, I'm crushing the absurdity of that apology being sufficient for people who would crush Drew Brees over saying, well, you know, I, when I look at the flag, I stand for the flag because my grandfather served in the military and I want to honor them. He got crushed for that. Dr. Seuss got crushed for pictures that were deemed racially insensitive now, but not in the what, 50 years ago when they were drawn and put in his books. I bring this up for the capricious nature of apology and cancel culture. Um, I keep hoping we're going to get to a period in our country where we realize just what a stupid era we live in, where we, some people can apologize and it's Never enough, right? It's never enough. Drew Brees. Drew Brees went on an apology tour after he said that about I. I why do you stand for the flag? Well, I stand for the flag because my grandfather served in the military and I want to honor them. Crushed, crushed, obliterated. Which that seemed like a pretty reasonable reason to me. He's giving his personal reason. He didn't say, and you should stand too because my grandfather. He didn't say that. Wasn't enough. Now Kevin Durant's apology is. Hey, I'm really sorry you saw that. I'm not I'm not sorry I said it. I'm not sorry you took offense to it. I'm not sorry if it hurt anybody. I'm just sorry you saw it. Because, <laughs> you know, like now I'm in a jackpot because you saw it. How absurd, how absurd that that is a sufficient apology. And Drew Brees' apology isn't. I keep hoping that somebody will be in cancel culture crosshairs that we go, nope, they're too important to cancel. So so the problem is not what they said. The problem is not what they did. The problem is the idea that we put so much weight on some people's words and not on others. I hope we get there. I'm not convinced we ever will. Um, We litigate people's guilt or innocence in the court of public opinion depending upon what their intersectionality points, people's preconceived notions. I, you'll never make sense of it. You'll never make sense of it. So don't try. And I'm sure I'll get crushed for pointing out on Twitter how absurd this is. Um, but I'm, I'm, you know, we're in this justice culture, social justice, racial justice, 
Research justice, I heard about the other day. Everything is, uh, uh, every time we bring up justice, we have to have an adjective to modify it, which is, by the way, not real justice. Justice is a noun that requires no adjective. Uh, And when there is an adjective with it, it's not justice anymore. But (laughs) this was just humorous to me, that KD's sorry you saw it. So you can try that, but I wouldn't recommend it. Uh, Okay. So now before we get to the faith portion of the podcast, because there is there is one person's words who you should give great weight to, not Kevin Durant's, uh, but I'll get to that in a second. Uh, reminder that um, if you're ever not in the court of public opinion, but in a real court and you need somebody with uh, great character, integrity, and expertise to litigate your case, Willis Spangler Starling are the people that you need. They're my law firm, they're great people. They're located on Truman Boulevard in Hilliard, which is just off Davidson Road, between Davidson and uh, Davidson and what's the main road through Hilliard? Hilliard Rome Road? No, it's not Hilliard Rome Road. Um, why can't I think of it? Uh, Scioto Darby, I think. Scioto Darby. So really easy to get to, and just down the road from Target and Home Depot. Uh, so. Willis Spangler Starling, online, willisattorneys.com. Will's estate planning. Everybody should have a will. Everybody should have a legal, uh, durable power of attorney. Everybody should have a uh, health power of attorney. Um, uh, probate, employment law, personal injury. They do all the biggies, some on contingency, some on a flat fee, free consultations at times. So check with them. Willis Spangler Starling, online, willisattorneys.com. Okay, faith portion of the podcast. It's Good Friday which is an ironically named, it's almost, yeah, it's an ironically named day, okay, because um, we could have a debate whether this particular commemorative Friday in the history of the world is good or not good. The argument against it being good is Jesus, the only perfect person who ever lived, the Son of God, was crucified on this day. That's the epitome of injustice. So that's not good. But if Jesus Christ had not been crucified as the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, including Bruce Hooley and you, well, we'd be screwed in terms of being forgiven and being made righteous if we accept his sacrifice as the payment for our sins. So in that regard... It's better, never been a better Friday ever because what Jesus did on this day allows us all to be forgiven. That's the essence of Easter, okay? Easter is the most transformative weekend in the history of the world because through God's love for us, he sent his son to live a sinless life on this earth to provide a radical new way to be reconciled to God. The Bible is remarkably consistent. People say it isn't, but I humbly submit to you, if you say that, you're wrong. The Bible starts with a system of blood sacrifice throughout the years of Abraham, David, on and on and on. You sin, you commit uh, a sin. In order to be forgiven by God, you have to shed the blood of an animal and sacrifice it to the Lord as a way to humble yourself and be forgiven for your sin. 
We don't do that anymore. And the reason why you don't do that anymore, and we don't need to do that anymore, is because Jesus, as I said, is the perfect Lamb of God. In the pre-Jesus sacrifice days, you didn't just pick any old animal, you picked the best animal, because we give our best to God. He required our best. He wanted an unblemished lamb, one that was not lame, one that was not scrawny. He wanted the, the fatted calf. Look, throughout the Bible, there are always, you sacrifice your best. That's what happened with Cain and Abel. One sacrifice was the best, and one was not the best, and God accepted the best, and he was not accepting of the eh sacrifice. So, Jesus, when he met John the Baptist in the wilderness, John the Baptist saw him coming and said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. That imagery would not have been lost upon the people of that day. They would have been like, whoa, this guy is a lamb. He is a the sacrifice that takes away the sins of the world. Wow. That would have made them think. Ooh, their minds would have been churning. When Jesus died <clears throat> on the cross, at that moment, there was in the temple in Jerusalem, a curtain, a huge curtain separating the outer temple from the inner temple. It's called the Holy of Holies. The priests could only go in there once a year. It was said to be where God's presence existed. And, of course, if you read Scripture, you know that you cannot even behold the countenance of God. It's too blinding. It's too perfect. We're so inadequate to be near it. That's why Moses, when he was in the wilderness and he saw the burning bush and he got close to the burning bush, he heard the voice of God saying, take off your shoes because you're standing on holy ground. Don't corrupt the ground you're standing on with your shoes that have been other places. And Moses could not behold the light of the presence of God, the glory of God. He had to turn his face away. So when Jesus died, that curtain in the temple where priests went, who went in there once a year, they'd tie a rope around their foot, and they would go in, and they would offer sacrifice to God. And the reason they tied a rope around their foot was because if they ever died in there, if they did something wrong and they were struck dead, or if they happened to just have a heart attack and die, they wanted to have a way to pull them out without having to go in there because that was the holiest of holies. Well, when Jesus died, that temple, that curtain in the temple separating the inner temple where God was said to exist from the outer temple, that curtain was torn from top to bottom. So when you tear something, um, the fact that it was torn from top to bottom symbolizes that God did the tearing. God above, it was torn from top to bottom. Not from bottom to top. Man could grab it at the bottom. A man couldn't grab it at the top. God, only God could do that. So these are all symbols and all ways of illustrating that God, through sending his son Jesus to the cross unjustly, because he didn't sin, he wasn't guilty of any crime, God provided a sacrifice for our sin. That's why I say Easter is not about bunnies, not about chocolate, not about peeps. Easter is the most transformative event in the history of every single person on the planet Earth who's ever lived. 
certainly since the time of Christ, <clears throat> because he's the standard by which we're all judged in the eyes of God as to whether we are forgiven for our sins or not forgiven for our sins. The forgiveness for our sins, Jesus accomplished at the cross. When he died, his final words were, it is finished. You know what finished means. You know what is means. What was the it? The it that he finished was the redemptive work of providing a way for us to be cleansed of our sins in the eyes of God. Jesus lived a sinless life, so he's the perfect lamb. He died, he sacrificed, he made atonement for us, just as those blood sacrifices in the Old Testament lost their life so that they people who offered them as sacrifices could be forgiven of their sin. So Jesus dying on the cross provides a comprehensive, but also an individual sacrifice for each of us and for us collectively as human beings. And he said, Okay, it's finished. So that's the atonement for our sins. What's the resurrection about? He came to life three days later. He lives today. He's seated in heaven, waiting for his triumphant return to this earth, his second coming. His resurrection is about him rising to new life. Okay, so he defeated death. He defeated the eternal nature of death, because death could not hold him. And likewise, death cannot hold us who have accepted him and his sacrifice at the cross. We will rise to new life too if we are forgiven through Jesus' sacrifice at the cross. We will live eternally with him in heaven. And whether you do that or not, or whether you live eternally in torment and punishment, as will those who reject his sacrifice at the cross, is entirely up to you. It's entirely up to you. There are very few things in life that we're 100% in control of. Unless you're a prisoner of war, you're in control of what you eat, which is why whenever I get too heavy, I realize that it's a lack of discipline in my life because only I, have, only I make the decision on what I put into my body. Other than what you eat, <clears throat> there are very few things in life what you're totally in control of, and there are people in prison who are not in control of that. They're, they have to eat what they're given. But whether you accept the sacrifice of Jesus Christ at the cross, which makes eternal life available to you, is 100% in control of every single person in this world. If you're living in a cave in Mongolia, that decision is still within your in your, in your power. If you're imprisoned unjustly somewhere and tormented and tortured, the decision to accept Christ or to reject what Christ did is still totally in your control. Your captors don't control that. You do. If you're living a blessed life in America, living on your own private island, you can have every comfort ever available to man. If you die without Christ, you'll spend eternity in torment. So I implore you, on this Easter weekend, if you have not accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior, to understand the gravity of what I'm telling you now. And that is that 
I'd love to hang with you forever in heaven. And you can do that. You can settle that right this very second by reaching out wherever you are through your words and a humble heart to tell Jesus, I don't really understand this whole thing Bruce is telling me, but I understand I don't want to miss the opportunity to experience the richness of a life on earth, live through the prism of how you tell me to live it, Jesus, and I certainly want to spend eternity with you. I'm offering my heart to you today. I'm offering my repentance to you today. I want to know you. I want to know you as my Savior. I want you to change my life. I want you to make me productive for you and for your kingdom. Bruce says all I have to do is offer my heart to you in sincere repentance and that you'll put people in my life who will explain it to me. You'll help me walk obediently with you. You'll give me um, appropriate feelings of guilt and lack of fulfillment when I do things I shouldn't do that are in defiance of the way you want me to live. I'm offering my life to you today, Lord, to reshape it in the way that you want it to be, because I want to live with you forever in heaven. Uh, And if you have questions about how to do that, or if I can help you understand that, you can email me, wetacklelife at gmail.com, wetacklelife at gmail.com. I wasted a lot of my life, people. I I had every advantage that a Christian could have. I grew up in a Christian home, and I missed the simplicity of this gospel that I just explained to you. Uh, It took me 30-some years to to get it, to seek it. I had to seek it first. I didn't really avail myself of what was in the Bible. Now there's nothing I'd rather do than learn more about what God's calling me to do. I learned that through reading his word every day and pondering it and humbling my heart and being silent before him and writing down the things he puts on my heart. And there I get, I, I get a ton of blessings in my life. I love interacting with my listeners. I love spending time with my daughters. I love being uh, in, the, in the presence and laughing and playing golf with and having fun with my wife. <clears throat> I'm a very blessed person. But the greatest blessing in my life is the forgiveness that I have through Jesus. And I so want that for all of you because it's a, such a tragedy to have it available to everyone. And to have someone miss it, to have someone not accept it. And I've I've crossed paths with a million, not a million, but a lot of people who are just hostile to it. And it makes me so sad. It used to make me, you know, finger wagging, ha ha ha, you're going to get it. And I think one way that I know I've matured in Christ is that um, I feel about those people this tremendous sense of longing for them to understand it. I know I get real agitated on the air on 98.9 The Answer about people who are cramming lies down the throats of our youth and down the throats of uh, you as a citizen of this country. Um, The source of that anger is that I'm just like, how do you miss what Jesus has for you at the cross? How do you miss it? Don't you understand it? I, I mean, I know sometimes I sound like I'm angry. What I'm really hurt by is I just want to grab people by the lapels and go, Gosh, don't let Satan take your life. 
Don't let Satan take your life. Don't let him steal what God has for you away from you. So um, that's my message to you on this Good Friday. Um, and if you need a church to go to this weekend, um, we have a service tonight at 7 o'clock at Northwest Chapel, 6700 Rings Road. Um, you'll be welcomed. You, you could probably come in and leave quietly if you want to. I hope you come up to me and talk to me. I'm not I'm not masked. Uh, I'm not afraid of anybody. <laughs> um, Sunday morning, we have services at 9.30 and 11. Um, just come and experience the amazement of Easter, that the perfect Lamb of God would trade his life for you individually. He did it for you. He did it for me. It encompasses everybody, but the truth is he would have come if only you were the one that he was redeeming. Such is his love for us. Blows my mind every time I think about it. So I've rambled, but I just have such a passion for that. And I want to be so obedient to God, and I'm doing it out of such gratitude for what he's done for me and how he saved me from an eternity of torment. So thank you for your time today. Thank you for listening. I appreciate it very, very much. And I hope that this is um, meaningful to you and helpful to you. So God bless. Happy Easter. Talk to you on Monday.